This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast for visiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Star Cops, episodes five and six. You have a success on your hands in keeping the mafia, or whatever it may call itself, out of space. Wait a minute, what, what, what do you mean out of space? We haven't kept them out of space, we've kept them out of here, and just for now. You must stop the mafia from poisoning space, as well as Earth. Fine, Alex, you tell me how, eh? How? Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast with the legal status of an international football team. <laughs> I'm Luke, here's my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I had something that's real, but I don't remember that line from the show, so now I'm distracted. Yeah, that was, that was just at some point, that's what they call, there's a comparison to the Star Cops legal status, and for some reason that's what they said, and it tickled me. I don't know why. Well, I'll tell you what I was gonna say for, uh, for what's real was, tell them to stuff it and translate into Japanese. Remember that? <laughs> Remember that line? I vaguely remember that amongst the uh, uh, 80s anti-Japanese rhetoric that uh, popped yeah. up. <laughs> it was just uh, uh, ever so gently sprinkled through the episode. So every now and then you go, what? What was that? It was really, there was really a time in the 80s, like kind of when that, uh, what is it? There's that Michael Crichton novel, Rising Sun, that was became a movie. Just this moment where there's this like real fear of Japan and that the fact they're becoming an economic powerhouse. And it really was an ugly, ugly little look into our society. <laughs> Well, that's a nice teaser for the second episode we'll talk about. That's true, because the first episode is more anti-Italian than uh, anti-Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> there, it is a funny thing in this show. We won't get too far into this, but there's this, I don't know, what would you call it? I guess I guess it is just racism. Like, there's this weird thread of, of or at least xenophobia or weird prejudice that's kind of mined for comedy. And there's this idea that we're all supposed to go, yeah, that is funny. Yeah, I think it is. There's there's certainly a, a regionalism, particularly uh, because this is, I guess, a British show, a uh, European regionalism that really pops up where they're really like, you. well, we're not saying this is true, but, you know, we all know it is. <laughs> well, you know what it actually reminds me of? And it's funny you said uh, British and not to uh, get down on the Brits here, but it does remind me a little bit of Come Back, Mrs. Noah. Not clearly not as explicit and not played purely for laughs, but there is this thread that seems uh to be connected to that yeah and, and i mean we'll get into the episodes but i would even say that the writer or whoever's doing these episodes probably the writer i would assume they're not even like they're trying to subvert it a little bit but it's just it's that unconscious bias like it's so it's so in there that even in even though they're going to be like trying to make people who they're also seem to be xenophobic against part of the crew you can't help but like notice that like they're subtly probably unconsciously putting all these weird biases into it anyway so it's this weird thing where you can tell they're trying to be good about it but they're also like missing huge this huge blind spots well i mean because we're talking about it both these episodes have at least one character doing an another culture's accent in both episodes yeah. it is crazy it is just like oh wow you you think you're being very uh very accepting but you are not <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, and there you go. We'll get into it because first, Jordan, what do you what do you want to do first? Oh, I thought we would do a little thing uh, of guess the role, which is something we've done before. But I thought this would be interesting because uh, I think both of us were not familiar with the show and any of the actors in the show. So I thought this will just be a free for all of just guessing things we've never heard of before. <laughs> Weird British shows. 
Yeah. Let's do we'll do some offensive British accents. We'll <laughs> I only do that Italian accent. Okay, well there are five main actors in the series. So your main actors are David Calder who plays Nathan Spring, Eric Ray Evans who played David Thoreau, uh, Trevor Cooper who plays Colin Davis, Linda Newton who plays Pal Kenzie, um, and uh, Jonathan Adams who plays Alexander Kravenko. And just so you know, uh, Seu Inaba uh, who plays Anna Shun in this, uh, the second episode will become a main character going forward on this show, but I didn't add her in this because we just entered, we just met her at this last episode. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So five people, five various roles. Luke, you know the gig. You try to pick uh, who might have done each role. All right, great. I'm going to do it by character name because I'm never going to remember those okay. names. So this person, this was this one was just for you, by the way. I picked this I specifically for you. <laughs> this person played multiple multiple orcs in the video game Warhammer 40,000 Dawn of War 3. <laughs> they did multiple orc voices. One of the... F- Four? Is it four leads? One of the five leads. Who's the other fifth lead? Krichenko? Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with Krichenko. <laughs> okay. Next, uh, this person played Chatswood LAC Commander, or I don't know how they pronounce it. Maybe it's Lack Commander, but I think it's Chatwood LAC Commander in the series Underbelly in 2012. Uh, Divas. Okay. This person played Roger Wilson in the 2008 The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, which I looked up. It was the third Mummy movie. I didn't even remember they made three of those. I'll go with uh, Nathan Spring. Okay. This person played Party Guest in the 1982 movie Supergirl. A big fan. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say that's Thoreau. Okay. And finally, this person played Dr. Everett V. Scott in 1975's Rocky Horror Picture Show. All right, well, I'm obviously wrong now because that's probably not Kenzie, but I guess I'll just go with Kenzie. Okay. You actually, Luke, there's a little drum roll. You didn't do too badly. You scored two out of five. Well, that's not too bad. Not bad. So uh, Trevor Cooper, who played Colin Davis, he was the multiple orc voices. Linda Newton, who played Pal Kenzie, she was Chatswood LAC commander in Underbelly. Okay. So those were wrong, but you did get a David Calder who plays Nathan Spring. He was Roger Wilson in The Mummy, uh, the third Mummy movie. And Eric Ray Evans, who plays David Thoreau, he uh, was the party guest in Supergirl. You got that right as well. I mean, I assumed since he was American, he must have been in the American movie. Yeah, as a good guess. That's how you narrowed it down. You're, you're like a, a, a regular Nathan Spring, the way you deduce things. Yeah, I've got about the same like level of deduction. <laughs> Uh, and finally, Jonathan Adams, who plays Alexander Kravenko. He was uh, Dr. Everett Scott in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh. You yeah. know what? Weirdly, I think I looked that up earlier and forgot about it. I, for- I remember someone was from Rocky Horror Picture Show on the show. Either way, not bad, though. Two to five. Most famous actor probably on the show, right? Yeah. If he was a Rocky Horror Picture Show? Yeah, I don't know. Well, it seems like, uh, what's his face? David Coulter did a lot of Shakespeare. So maybe uh, there's some Shakespeare fans mm. out there. They're like, oh, I loved him in. Henry V or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> he was the best in Henry V. <laughs> he's the only, he's the only right. Henry for me. That's what I always say. <laughs> you can keep those other four. Yeah. All right. Shall we do this, George? Let's we just do get it. get into these episodes? Yeah, yeah. Here is the IMDb summary for episode five. This case to be opened in a million years. Well, Thoreau is left to investigate the crash of a rocket carrying nuclear waste. 
Spring, on an enforced vacation, is lured to Rome, where he is framed for drug trafficking. And that IMDb summary was courtesy of Gus F. Gus F. He's done all of them, hasn't he? I think we had a guest star in there somewhere, mm. but who can remember? Mm. It's all a whirlwind. We mentioned this before, but this show has great titles for the episodes. Yeah, I would say for the most part, pretty pretty good titles. Um, this one, I wasn't in love with as much. It was what a mouthful, but uh, otherwise, good titles. Oh, and uh, let me just say right off the bat, this is these two episodes. Uh, we mentioned this in the previous podcast. Um, are directed by Graham Harper. The and these are going to be his three episodes that he did because the original director is going to come back. And I I know it was something I was looking for, but I really did notice the difference in how the show looked over these couple episodes. And I I do think it's better for the show. I mean, the writing and everything is kind of it's got its issues, but I think the show looks better. I will say I watched this episode in my in my like back seating area on my cell phone in the bright day sun. So when Nathan went to caves, I could not see anything. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, when they when they shot and shot this show, they never expected you would be watching on your cell phone. It's true. I I was like, well, I'm just going to assume I know what's happening in this dark, dark cave. Yeah, it was dark. It's true. Anyways, what a teaser. Um, the episode begins uh, with an accident during the launch of a rocket at the moon base. The rocket belongs to an Italian nuclear waste disposal company uh, called Santania Italia, mm-hmm. which uh, I guess. They transport nuclear waste from Earth to the moon and then put that waste on a rocket and just blast it off into space. That's their that's their job? I guess that makes sense, right? I, it's it, What's the chance it's going to come into contact with anything? Or if it does, you'll be so far away, right? It's, it's space's problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's space's problem. <laughs> um, this time, however, uh, something goes wrong with the launch that's happening and the, the rocket kind of... Uh, fails to launch and kind of just falls over on the moon's surface and it, uh, the entire base goes into red alert because there's there's worry that there's going to be a radiation leak and everybody has to run off and throw radiation suits on mm-hmm. it is the one downside to shooting your nuclear waste off into space i was going to say like maybe set up that rocket launch a little further away from your moon base <laughs> the moon's pretty big well could, do you even need to to shoot it off couldn't you just have someone just push it and just let it float away gently yeah what's the gravity like yeah you, could just, you need a really strong guy to push it <laughs> At any rate, um, this sort of leads to like this really kind of painfully obvious C plot to this episode, where Thoreau just keeps disappearing whenever they have to look into nuclear waste-related uh, mysteries around the failed launch, and they really play it out where they're like, "Where'd Thoreau go? We got to go look at this company who launches nuclear waste. He seems to have disappeared." And uh, it's so painful because you know he's just afraid of nuclear he's afraid of the radiation of nuclear waste you just know that immediately yeah and they really drag it on and on and eventually it'll be like oh i'm afraid because my dad died of radiation poisoning but like man they drag this thread out well it's weird because you mentioned that they they sort of i think the intention is to build towards it for this character reveal but it doesn't really work it just lands flat at the end you know what it actually reminded me of the episode years and years ago in the X-Files, one episode where we learned that Mulder is scared of fire, but it was only helpful because it was like, <laughs> like, I don't know, some monster who created fire or something, but it was never seated before or after that that this was an issue. So it was just like, hey, okay, sure. That was the episode where they revealed his father was Frankenstein. Right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Ooh, well played. Also, also, I think an episode of uh, X-Files, uh, Modern Prometheus. <laughs> <laughs> where they just find a frankenstein yeah sure oh x-files um but yeah i mean 
it's so funny. Like, it, when he actually reveals, like, the reason he's afraid and his father died a horrible death of radiation poisoning, it's actually kind of a nice dramatic moment. But the lead up to it is just, like, they seem to be, like, oh, is 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 maybe Thoreau compromise somehow or like but he's such a boy scout you never buy it for two seconds well that's the everything we've learned about him so far is that he's he's straight as an arrow right like maybe to a fault so it it just is like what are we supposed to you have to suspend your disbeliefs for this non-reveal yeah i know it's it's unfortunate at any rate uh well this sort of investigation into uh rocket fall down is going on uh nathan gets a call from uh star cop human resources (laughs) That's right. Yeah, so this woman calls in, and uh, I think it's supposed to be this classic, like, bureaucrat. She doesn't really want to hear anything other than, like, letter of the law. And and the phone call essentially comes down to her saying that he's owed some vacation time, which he hasn't taken, and he has to take it immediately. So he is being forced to leave the ship. And and you're supposed to get that, like, he's a guy who doesn't like going on vacation. But she's forcing him to not only go on vacation, but he has to physically leave uh, the station and go back to Earth. Exactly. And he gets on a shuttle to head back to Earth. And what I loved about this is he proceeds to have an open dialogue with his AI assistant on the plane. And it's great because, like, there's literally a guy sitting, like, a few seats away who keeps looking back, like, who is this guy talking out loud to his phone the entire time on this plane? And I was I was like, this is very accurate. I'm very annoyed by this as well. Well, it's funny. I thought they were it was going to be a thing where this character in the background, because he's so prominent that he's staring, I thought it was going to be a thing, like a reveal later, that he gained some information. But it's not. It's just an irritated person in the background who can't believe this guy is openly having this conversation with essentially himself because the box sounds just like him um but uh, laugh really there, there was one thing actually i i liked more about this and i don't know if you noticed it but it's something we've uh we've spoken about in previous podcasts about this is the the extra effort the actors have to do to pretend that there there's weightlessness and uh all of the characters in the shuttle going back to earth have their hands just slightly hovering up so it looks like they're all strapped There's down. Like they're weightless. But, but, yeah, but they're weightless. Their arms are still moving. And I, I I don't know why I like that. Speaking speaking of weightlessness in the show, did you happen to notice in these two episodes, uh, they also, I they the hair, they're doing it to yeah. Nathan's hair too. They like frizz out his hair when he's yeah. weightless. That's, I love it. I love that the uh, hair department is like faking weightless hair. Yeah. <laughs> But there's an important conversation on this uh, on this shuttle down. Uh, Nathan bumps into, I assume it's supposed to be like, is it supposed to be like a femme fidel? Is that what we're supposed to think? Or is it supposed to just be like an innocent lady? I couldn't quite tell what they were going for. No, I think in the end it ends up being a sort of a femme fatale. Yeah, this uh, Italian woman joins him in his seats. I guess he's got an empty seat next to him because she's, as she explains, she was sitting next to a real creep who kept sexually harassing her. Yeah, and they just like, all right, moving on from that. <laughs> well, it's funny. Nathan's just like, well, maybe it was a compliment. I'm like, mm, Nathan. <laughs> but they both uh, have something in common, which is they've both been forced off of the the moon for the same reason was there's a crude vacation yeah and nathan's been thinking of going to somewhere in southern europe on his vacation and the lady's like oh you should go to italy it's great i'm from italy it's a wonderful place and they're like oh why don't you go there i gotta go see my family for a couple days but i'll meet you at the catacombs and we'll go on a date or something and nathan's like hey this sounds like a great vacation to me yeah summer romance and i'm gonna mention something weird that i found out about this episode so in the original draft of this he goes to venice and the plan was that everything was going to take place in <laughs> in water and like sort of like underground uh, thing. But budgetarily, they couldn't do it. So they switched it to, I believe they're in Rome, I think. Right. Um, but the funny thing is, 
there's still some dialogue in, in this scene where they keep mentioning Venice, and I think it's just a leftover. From... Wait, they're gonna that explains it because I was I have a note here about how I'm like they keep talking about how Venice is now underwater. Yeah, because that was what the episode was gonna be, and then there someone was like, "We can't afford that." And they're like, "Oh, well, Rome." Like, should we change the script? Nope. It's gonna be an all submarine episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, he he's going to go to Rome and the catacombs in Rome. Though everyone knows, if you're going to go to Rome, you got to go to the catacombs. You gotta. I'd never even heard of these Roman catacombs, but there yeah, you go. Sure. Uh, anyway, Nathan goes to Rome, and after about a day in Rome, apparently it's the rainy season, uh, and he's just trapped inside his hotels. I, I kind of like this. Is he's like there, and he's just like, uh, no, this isn't going to work. Uh, I am leaving Rome. This date is canceled. And he just doesn't have contact for this lady to, like, cancel the date. So he, like, is like, hey, I'll, I'll just call up the Starcup office and I'll have her, them look up my date and I'll just call her and tell her I'm not coming tomorrow. I really did think at this point this episode was going to be similar to that episode in Star Trek The Next Generation when Picard went to Ryza and then ended up on, like, an Indiana Jones adventure with, I can't remember her name, uh, Vess or whatever that woman's name is. You remember that episode where he like yeah yeah yeah. Anyways, that's what I thought this was gonna be like. He was gonna go on an adventure and stuff, but it's it's not. No, it's not. A, it's not really an adventure. Like he calls up to say, "Hey, Kenzie, can you look up this woman I was on the plane with? I don't know. I, I know her name, but I didn't get her number, so I can't call her to cancel her date tomorrow." You think he would have just said to Box, "Box, remember this number?" You know, <laughs> I don't think she gave her number. I think that's the problem. Is he mm. didn't. He forgot to ask for her number. Mm. But the big reveal is Kenzie looks into her and the company she supposedly works with, and there's no record she ever existed. Yeah. Spooky. Yeah. She, so right away, there seems to be something maybe sketchy about her. Or, you know, she's a bit of a yeah. plant or something. Certainly piques, piques Nathan's interest. So he decides to stick around, and he, he heads he heads the catacombs the, a day or two later to, like, go on their date. And, of course, she doesn't show up at all. And while he's on the tour of this catacombs, uh, a man with a syringe full of cardio stimulants attempts to attempts to murder him. Yeah, and what I like about this show is something it does maybe worse than any show we've ever seen is action scenes. I don't think they've ever had anyone who's choreographed any of the fights because we've had stuff from like a guy karate chopping someone in a spacesuit to wrestling with a roller skate guy and they always just look bad. And this again is just shot in such a weird choppy way that any sort of excitement about this attack is is muted by the way it's filmed but basically a guy tries to stab him with a syringe nathan uh, in a defensive move ends up stabbing the guy with the syringe yeah thank you for describing that to me that was the part where it was all pitch black to me so i'm like yeah jordan will tell me what happened <laughs> oh uh, but i should mention uh one quick thing uh that's not really relevant to the episode but when they're when he's talking to box earlier and he's like oh it's been a while since i've taken a vacation isn't that true box and box is like yeah i remember you were supposed to go with your uh your girlfriend but she was killed remember and he's like, yeah, thanks. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> I do like that. He's just like, Box, can you please delete that? He's just like, mm, no. He's like, no, no, I, she died. I have to keep reminding you constantly that your love of your life is dead. <laughs> but yes, Nathan has killed his assailant in these uh, Italian catacombs. And uh, the Italian police, of course, show up and uh, they just are not very helpful. Um, I would say they're less than helpful. They're aggressively unhelpful. They Aggressively unhelpful. They seem, they seem to be at best be on the take or to be uh, working for some nefarious means yes but what what he is able to at least find out is that the his attacker was a former moon base employee of uh, santana italia the nuclear waste company who uh was recently arrested by the star cops and basically kicked off the moon for smuggling a hallucinogen hc26 that's the worst one that happens isn't it so uh there's there's this now mystery of like how does this relate back to nathan if it's a star cop so 
weirdly, Nathan now is just like, well, I've had enough of Italy. Uh, I'm done. I'm done being here. And he, he heads back and he's just like, hey, Box, book me another vacation. I got a quick question, though, for you, Luke. What was the original plan of the evil Italians who were led to believe uh, it was going to do this assassination? Because we're led to believe that, I can't remember her name, Lena, I think the lady he met on the, the ship on the way down, was she supposed to kill him in the catacombs? No, I think she was just a plan. We can get into it at the end because it's a very complicated okay, double plan I did, going on. I didn't understand. I was like, so they had, like, that's what I thought. I'm like, did they have a double assassination just in case? But you'll No, no, it. she was a lure, I think. She was just a lure for this man to kill him oh, in the Oh, and then he went anyways. I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, they were going their date, and then this guy would be there to kill him, basically. And she would never show up. Um, but yeah, no, he he's like, all right, let's get out of Italy. I can't, I can't, uh, I can't go on vacation here, clearly. And uh, what I like is he asks Box where he can go, and I think Box says there's a there's a two day trip to Peru available for uh, 917 euro dollars. <laughs> and what I liked is so close. He almost got euros. The writer almost got euros. Yeah, euro- went a little too far. Euro dollars. Euro dollars. But this is this is done because uh, Nathan's just like I wonder if I can afford a 917 dollar vacation. Box, check my bank account. And Box is like, Oh, uh, you have 105 thousand dollars in there. And Nathan is like surprised but not overly surprised he's just like huh i've never had that much money in my life no further questions please yeah the right that was weird because it comes up later obviously they you know this is part of a uh unraveling uh plan but yeah he doesn't seem that curious about it he's like interesting anyways i guess i could use that money i guess i'll go to peru yeah <laughs> but this all leads into kind of the next moment when nathan at his hotel room discovers someone's broken into his room and Again, another action sequence, Nathan gets bashed on the head and falls down and the guy escapes. And Nathan starts like looking through his luggage like, why was this man here? And he finds like a a bag of powder hidden in his luggage, which he proceeds to lick okay. the powder. This is this is the equivalent of, of, it's a trope I hate in movies, which they always have. They'll have like, you know, a detective arrives, arrives on the scene and he pulls out a bag of, let's say, cocaine. And he'll take a knife or something and like put it in the cocaine and then taste it and be like, yeah, that's pure cocaine. Please don't do that. Please don't taste drugs to see if they're actually drugs. There's <laughs> there's a procedure in place of chemical testing to see what this drug is. And this is the equivalent of like, we're supposed to believe he's a smart detective who then in a very like uh, Woody Allen-esque Annie Hall moment sticks his face right into the drug bag and like takes a whole big breath of, of drugs. Well, that's just it. He he takes a nice lick of, uh, I believe I wrote it down here, it's uh, heroin concentrate 46, and then <laughs> proceeds to trip out like crazy. Yeah, for like days. And while he's sort of tripping out in this hotel room, the, the Italian police bust into his room and they start taking photos of Nathan high high off his, uh, high on a, I don't know, high off his brain? I don't know. What's the term for being high, Jordan? You just say high. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, that's not uh, very literal or uh, exciting, but whatever. Uh, high as a kite. High as a kite, thank you. That's what I was looking for in my sleep-addled brain. Um, he's high as a kite. They confiscate the drugs. They take photos of him for reasons we'll kind of later as, like, sort of blackmail reasons. And when Nathan finally comes down, he decides, he's like, well, this vacation's over. I'm going back to the moon to discover why am why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. But we're going to see later on, you know, this is a part of a blackmail and stuff. But it seems like they don't really use the blackmail material very well. Like they have him with drugs. They have him uh, like you would, you'd assume you could actually arrest him at this point with the evidence they have, but they just keep letting him investigate stuff. It is, it is odd. Like it does seem like up till this point in the unpacking later of what's happening here, 
there was a femme fatale who tricked him to go into a catacomb so they could murder him. And I guess that he would be then dead and they would like, because he has all this money, they'd be like, oh, he was a drug smuggler who died in drug smuggling. Then he doesn't die. So they shift the plan to be like, all right, well, now let's just get a bunch of evidence that he's drug smuggling so we can later get him fired from his job. Like the, yeah. the, the plan is ever evolving for these people. They're very similar to, remember the villain in that uh, cartoon sci-fi show we watched? Oh, um, Invasion Earth? Yeah, remember? And the, the guy had like a 30-year plan. He just had all these all these plans over and over about invading Earth. Th- these people are very similar. Yeah, they're, they're always evolving. They're ready. They're ready to yeah. pivot at any moment. Well, Nathan's been gone, though, on the moon, the Star Cops have been looking into that rocket failure. And uh, basically, the uh, uh, Santania Italia company is not being very forthcoming with help. Um, they're, they're, like, pretending to be helpful, but they're not being very helpful. And... Um, they're hearing rumors about, hey, maybe this company's also involved in a drug smuggling side business. So there's a lot of questions around that. And the head of the company's feeling a lot of pressure. He doesn't want the Star Cops looking into it. So he, at some point, decides to conspire with his cousin, a woman who works for a uh, space mining outfit. And uh, he's essentially asking her, he's like, hey, can I borrow some like explosive wrap so I can like put it around the place where the accident happened and essentially make it look like there's a sabotage that caused this like space failure and really throw the throw the star coughs off their investigation and of course he goes to the uh moon base's recreational facilities and have this like conversation out loud with this uh his cousin and kenzie happens to be walking by and spots it and she's like hmm that seems strange maybe i'll use my uh fact that i'm australian to have a conversation with us australian lady and get to the bottom of it um she just does is this where she just like pulls up a chair without like asking him she's just like hey having lunch huh well she's just like i hear you're australian i'm also australian <laughs> would you like to talk to me uh, but the, all of this is that they start looking into the backgrounds of like the this man who run who runs this the moon operation for nuclear waste and this woman who works at this uh, space mining company and what they come to find is all of these people have like relatives who all seem to be related to the mafia so we're dealing with the space mafia in this episode (laughs) which is again it's like of course it's the mafia because it's italians all italians are mafia well that's the the premise of this episode is like aren't all italians mobbed up yeah yeah (laughs) which is uh a a rude statement to make (laughs) and and i'll say this it's this is not a i mean this is maybe a little too convoluted for its own good this plot but i think the idea of an evolution of organized crime in space is a interesting idea to mine. Absolutely, that they don't really they don't really give it enough time. It's actually something that could have been serialized over the series in an interesting way. This episode, they just decide they're going to get it all out of the way. They're like, "Hey, Italians, right? They're, they know the mafia. What if they went to space?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's just like there's something a little more nuanced that uh, that they could have done. It, not good. Well, and this is what is sort of happening is like you know, this is when. Nathan gets back to the moon and he finds out from the moon base coordinator Kravenko that the basically the Italian police are sending up a warrant. He's going to get fired from his job for being a drug smuggler. And we get the idea that perhaps this has happened because of all like this is the problem where they didn't see this properly is like we're, we're supposed to interpret this as because Nathan is cracking down on corruption in space. The mafia has decided they need to get him out of the way. So they plan this elaborate thing to like frame him they're going to kill him and when that fails they're going to frame him for drug smuggling and so that he may he may lose his job as a result of this but there's this side plot going on with the rocket that falls over that's going to expose their operation in space so this is where their plot pivots even further is now that they've now they've decided to the italian company says 
Oh yeah, that guy who tried to kill Nathan on Earth. We've also we've we've determined that he sabotaged the rocket. So Nathan's drug smuggling compadre on Earth is responsible for sabotage. Like they start just like tying this. It seems like they had one conspiracy. Let's frame Nathan. And then this accident happens on the moon. They're like, well, let's just tie them all together in the sloppiest way possible. And also now the this man who got fired from drug smuggling is also Nathan's compadre. But also separately, he decided to sabotage a rocket. And when they ask why, they're like, oh, you know, just revenge. I believe the quote is uh, revenge. It's just an Italian tradition. But but I think more importantly, as a viewer watching this, there's nothing succinct about this at all. And I, I found it not only hard to follow, but I wasn't that invested enough to concentrate. It was just like, what happening? Uh, more of this stuff? It just, I think it's a lot to throw it at, at, at an audience um, and to have them try to keep track of all these threads that at best are clumsily put together. Well, the thing is, there's no, like, there's a crime happening, but the crime is not static. You're not unraveling a crime that has happened. You are having to unravel a crime that is in the process of being complicatedly put together. So it's perpetually shifting what they even want you to think is happening. Yeah, and this this show has a, a real problem with, I'm going to say momentum. I don't know if that's the actual word, but the, the, the plot never seems to have any propulsion at all. It's just like characters walking into rooms, information is given, it might be complicated, it might not. And it's not that it doesn't connect, but it's just there's no sense of immediacy ever. It's like everyone's so British, they're just walking around chatting about stuff. <laughs> too British. Yeah, too British. Anyway, uh, Kenzie has decided, as we said, to get buddy-buddy with that Australian-Italian mining person. And uh, she ends up going out to like check out her facilities under the auspice of like accepting a job offer. And while she's digging around there, she like finds a bunch of material and she's like oh i've uncovered the conspiracy and it's about their the nuclear waste thing is working with this mining company to ship uranium back to earth to sell illegally to enemy states like that's i guess the entire like conspiracy that the mafia is up to in space also drugs are somehow involved none of it's very clear yeah oh and also the the other australian lady she can't see a uh, double cross from like an inch from her face it's like, no, like no. Kenzie's not convincing at all. And she's like, seems on the up and up. I think I should give her all my plans. When, when she does finally figure Kenzie out, she pulls out a blowtorch to threaten her. She's like, well, I'm going to kill you via blowtorch. I did um, like that because here's the thing. We've seen this before. I think it was in the first episode where someone pulled a gun on a Thoreau uh, and in space. And I would have been like, yeah, shoot me. Shoot me in space. How, you, how are you going to explain that? Like it, one thing, pushing someone out in airlock or something. But like this too, it's like, how are you going to explain these blowtorch marks all over me when they find my body? Yeah, sure, do it. But to her to her rescue comes Devis, who just shows up out of the blue, and, like, they arrest her, and the, the conspiracy is blown wide open, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird. Like, basically, I would say the plot wraps up here, but then we get an additional scene where Nathan decides he's going to break into the Santania Italia, like, storage facility to see what they're actually shipping, even though we know it's uranium now. I guess his character doesn't, but, like, we, the audience... And there's this thing where he breaks in, and then, like, the head of the company pulls a gun on him. I guess it's there so that, like, Thoreau can confront his fear of radiation, and he shows up in his radiation suit and saves Nathan, but, like, it's just, like... It's the... It's it's like an action scene. It's a little button at the end where, like, it's a lot of him rolling around, uh, rolling around, like, shelving while this guy shoots, which I always think is crazy, just shooting off a gun in a... Uh, uh, an airlocked uh, space station. I'm like, there's got to be some bad effects from that. 
I mean, yeah, I think it is mostly there just for the conclusion to Thoreau confronting his fear of radiation. But it is, since action sequences are not this show's strength, it was a bad idea to yeah. button it with that. Yeah, yeah, but he's he's overcome his fear that we kind of found out about at the end. Great. Yeah, and the, the case is closed. Nathan's name has been cleared. And then uh, HR calls and says, hey, you didn't finish that vacation. You've got to go back to Earth. And they're like, well, what adventures will we get into next week? Mm -hmm. Here are those adventures. Here's the IMDb summary for episode six, In Warm Blood. So what's the diagnosis? There is no diagnosis. It's not in the textbooks. All the blood in her body clotted, just like that. Well, what could have caused it? The human body was designed to function in normal gravity. When you take that away, who knows what happens? I mean, we know the blood thins, we know the bones thin, we know you you get a couple of inches taller. What else happens? No one's been out here long enough to find out. The returning crew of the survey ship Pluto 5 are discovered dead, appearing almost (laughs) freeze-dried. There is a convection... Sorry. There is a connection to a large Japanese corporation and the suicide of a scientist close to the moon base commander. That a courtesy again of Gus F. Yeah, Gus. Uh, the, the people appear to be freeze-dried. I did enjoy it. And I have, there's a couple things that I really liked about this episode. One, I love the look of the freeze-dried people. The corpses are amazing in this yeah, episode. Yeah, they look great. And right off the bat in this opening scene, we're um, going to have like a ship flying and they're trying to figure out this ship doesn't seem to have anyone uh, flying it anymore. It's just like floating aimlessly. And uh, when Thoreau goes out to go take a look in the suit, he screams so loudly and it's such a bizarre reaction that i don't know if it makes sense for his character or more so for someone in his position it was great this is the thing is like there's this pluto 5 ship returning i guess to earth's orbit but it is not communicating like they're like we can't get a communication lock in with it we have to wait till it gets close enough and it finally has thoreau's been sent out to check out what's wrong with it and that's basically it. he goes and looks through basically the uh front window of the ship and screams just scream so loud when we see the corpse. Um, I, I, here's how I describe the corpse in my notes. It looks like Norman Bates' mom at the end of Psycho. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's very, um, uh, they're almost mummified. Everyone's very, uh, there's like some features, but they're sort of a, like jerky. I, I, You know what? Here's what I liked about Thoreau's scream is it was not a like false, like manly, like, oh, no, it was like a man shrieking in terror. And I was like, you don't hear that really. <laughs> but but don't you think, though, when you you see what he was looking at, his shrieky a bit much? I'd be like, eh. it was it was maybe a, t- a tad overblown, although very funny, like later in this episode, Kenzie will also see one of these freeze dried corpses and have the exact same yeah. scream. <laughs> yeah, I think they're just very afraid of dead bodies. <laughs> I think they really are just trying to sell how hor- you know, horrifying these are. But in reality, uh, they look just kind of cool. Um, this this ship, the Pluto 5, is it's it's part of the Hanamid Medical Corporation. And so this uh, Hanamid Corporation sends up a representative to help uh, investigate. And they're based out of Tokyo. So we get Dr. Anna Shun showing up to, uh, as she walks into the scene, a incredibly racist music cue plays. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's if the last episode was problematic, this episode doubles down on the issues they have with race. It was just like, when the like, weird Asian cue notes showed up for her, it's like, this is her theme. I'm like, oh, you guys, get it together. Yeah, like they might as well had someone just hitting a gong. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, basically, she's going to go check out the ship with Thoreau and Kenzie, and 
basically they go they look at the corpses essentially what they find is like there's no known cause they can't figure out what killed these like five or eight crew members or whatever and the only real irregularity on the ship is that the temperature was set to 41 degrees the upper limits of human tolerance to heat yeah that's right yeah it's hot it's great they're like would that have killed them they're like no no that's that's like the upper limit like you can take it it's fine yeah you just be uncomfortable it's just uncomfortably hot it's a dry heat while they're doing that, though, uh, Nathan's been giving a side quest in this episode, as usual. Uh, Kravenko has a scientist friend who's orbiting on a nearby satellite who hasn't heard from in a couple days. Uh, this is uh, Dr. Janssen. I kept hearing them say Yancey on the show, but I think it's actually Janssen was what the actual written word was. How did you spell it? I spelled it Y-A-N-S-O-N. You see her name on a screen at some point. It is spelled J-A-N-S-S-E-N. Oh, Okay. But everyone's accents, I think, makes it sound like it's Janssen. Mm. Yancey, but it's actually Janssen. Uh, anyway, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> She's a Nobel Prize winner in chemistry who works for Hanamid, the medical corporation. And she has a bit of a checkered past with getting patient consent on uh, drug trials. So uh, Nathan goes to check up on her and discovers that uh, she's been dead, but only for two hours. Like, she just died before he arrives. And uh, God bless this actress who plays this uh, character, this dead character, because she has to sit in a swivel chair holding her arms like straight up perpendicular to her body to mimic zero G in a what's got to be a long four minute shot Mm -hmm. of her just having to stand there. And I was watching her arms to watch her like see if she starts shaking. Rock steady. She did a great job. I I did the exact same thing. I watched and I was like, I'm going to see if she's going to move. Is she going to move? Is she going to move? And it's like, no, no, she did a good job. I was like, give that actress an award. <laughs> oh, but you know what I like, though, is we do see a quick scene of her uh, a few minutes uh, previously oh, that's in the true, episode. Right at the start. And, and, all, and I was hoping they were never going to come back to her because it's just her in a ship by herself and she just cries. And I was like, leave it. Don't ever come back to her. Just have a weird scene where someone's in space crying by themselves. Well, that's it. When Nathan sees the bodies first, we then do a hard cutaway to her crying. This, this is like the, the teaser to the episode. Like, who are these dead bodies? Who is mm-hmm. this woman crying? I, I, it wasn't until I went back to do my show notes and I was going through my like raw notes of like me watching the episode. I literally had a note where like woman crying. And I was just like, what am I talking about here? What? I totally forgot that scene existed. Like it was such a throwaway. Well, it, it's, it only makes sense later on the episode, but at the beginning, it's a little jarring. Yeah. At any rate, she's dead. And once again, the temperature in this space station that she's working out of is 41 degrees. Which again is, is what Luke gets at the upper limits of what we can take yeah it's like it's like a little too hot if you're from a cooler climate but uh, <laughs> like you and i would find it very hot yeah we'd want to be in like shorts and a t-shirt probably right. maybe something cotton to like mm-hmm. cut down on the sweat. it breathes yeah exactly um anyway obviously nathan is suspicious of this whole thing so he he confronts this dr shun from hanny mead who's been sent up to help investigate about uh what's going on here like why is this crew dead why is why is the hanny mead corporation claiming they died of an unknown space toxin and like to like drive his point home he like grabs they have like they have like I guess evidence from the spaceship, it, like sealed the containers, so they can test it for for space toxins. I love they keep calling them unknown space toxins, mm-hmm. but he's just like to prove to her he knows that's a fake diagnosis from the Hanami Corporation. He like smashes one of them open in front of her face, and he's like, "See, we're not dead." I was like, "Well, give it a couple more seconds, Nathan. Let's see if there's a toxin." In there. <laughs> yeah, is is this the scene where a dead body floats by and it's got a thermostat in it? No, that sort of happened when they were investigating the ship. This is when, like, they go back and, and Nathan's, like, so suspicious about, like, right, right. this corporation. So he confronts this poor doctor who's come up to help investigate. And he's just, like, screaming at her. Like, Nathan is, like, aggressively threatening her to, like, join his investigation and turn against the Hanimid Corporation. I have to say, 
both David and Nathan, I'm, I'm starting to dislike them. They seem to be aggressive all the time. And to a point where I think you're supposed to think like they're sort of hard-boiled detectives, but it just is coming across as men in a position of power sort of talking down to people. It is the last two episodes. I made the same note is both of them are both high strung and extremely aggressive in mm-hmm. situations where it's unnecessary to the point of unlikability to the point actually that when the two of them are in scenes together, they're yelling at each other for no apparent reason. They seem to be, those two seem to be fighting with each other in scenes. And I, I think you're right. I think they're trying to use it as a hard blow detective thing or this idea that there's some like tension amongst yeah. the crew, but none of it makes sense to what we've seen before and what's happening. So these last two episodes, I had the same thing. I'm like, I liked both these characters before and now they're unbearable. Yeah. Like, I think there's a scene uh, even coming up. I think uh, Thoreau just like essentially yells at Kenzie because she's not upset enough about the bodies or something. And it was like, what is this? Why is he acting this way? Yeah, it, it is totally out of the blue for both these characters. They really just doubled it. Like, I don't know if it's maybe the director decided. Mm-hmm. On these two episodes, there needed to be more, like, tension. So, But it just results in two of our lead characters who were up till now, like, kind of likable becoming extremely unlikable. Yeah. Um, but, it, I mean, in this particular case, he's yelling at Dr. Shun to, like, join his investigation because he suspects Hannah Mead's up to something. And, like, to her credit, Dr. Shun's just like, yeah, like, absolutely the corporation I work for might be using me. But, like, you're literally yelling at me trying to use me right now. So uh, I'm going to nope out of this and return back well, to Tokyo. Well, she, ma- she makes a good point. She's like, look, maybe they're doing something. Maybe they're not. But for all intents and purposes, I am a outward-facing employee member. I don't have any information for you. So you can yell at me all you want. But I am just, for all intents and purposes, a bureaucrat for the company. Like, what do you want from me? Yeah, you just you just pretended to kill me with space toxins. That seems a tad a tad yeah. overkill. And she's she is she's she's a doctor who's clearly doing tests, but she's sort of like a representative for the company. She's not yeah. like a corporate head or anything. No, she's just a general physician. They basically just sent someone up there because that's part of their I guess the corporate rules is like if you're going to go on a corporation ship, you have to have a representative, and they just sent her up to be like their face there, and she really knows nothing. But is this though, Luke? Is this though where they f- they go through their belongings and they find this like uh, this like vitamin type drug thing that they're all taking? I think it's called pheromol. Yeah, that's part of this investigation. They find this pheromol thing, and the idea behind that is the crew takes it because when you're in space, your uh, red blood cells break down quicker. So you, you take these like this is oil capsules to like you know strengthen up your red blood cells, um, and they're going to be that's going to be kind of the running seat of like oh ooh, what's up with these pills for the mm-hmm. rest of this episode. There is a weird scene too, like. With all this aggression shown from Nathan, there's a weird scene, though, where he has a psychotherapy session with Box. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I, I'm not going to talk about it, but it's just so he's just like, Box, am I a jerk? Nathan, I'm a robot. How would I know? It's like, maybe you should talk to a real person who's qualified. And he's like, nah. Anyway, but back to the investigation. You're right. They're, they're, these pills are found with these astronauts. They do an autopsy of Dr. Jansen back on the ship, and they've discovered that uh, all the blood in her body has clotted. And Nathan is, suspects, though this is a weird way to die, this may have been a suicide, just relating to the behavior of, like, she stopped communicating with anybody two days ago, basically when the Pluto 5 came onto radar. Like, she stopped communicating. Like, she just disappeared. And then as soon as they actually sent out someone to look at the ship, that is about basically the moment she happened to die. So Nathan suspects there's something suspicious here, perhaps some guilt around what happened on the ship. Maybe she knew something. Mm-hmm. And this was a, a suicide from a prominent doctor, basically. There's been this side thing happening the whole episode, Jordan, of Devis riding a stationary bike. <laughs> what a B-plot. His B-plot is he's trying to lose a little bit of weight for his physical, right? 
Yeah, so he can stay in the Star Cops. And we just keep cutting back to him working out in the Star Cops office and everyone yelling at him well, to not bother because them. The weird thing about it is it's played for, for comedy. And again, in a show that as hu- is as humorless as possible, so I always find it a little bit jarring. But he's he keeps going on what I guess is a fake exercise bike, but I don't know why he's not doing this in his quarters or some sort of public area. He keeps bringing it onto like the bridge, or they're having a conversation, and he drags this bike in to start exercising in front of everyone. It is just attempting to be funny. I mean, you know, Divas is the closest to a comic character we yeah. have. The show seems to misunderstand that, like, it's the character comedy that works well. Like when, when Kenzie threatens to quit and Nathan says, go ahead, like those moments work for comedy, but it's these moments where they're like, Oh, let's have him drag this. He's always riding an exercise bike. Isn't that a funny gag? And it's just like, not specifically. Well, no, the joke is he's a little bit overweight. So it'd be funny if this person who's a little bit overweight is always exercising because we know he's not going to lose weight. It's pretty funny, right? Yeah. And I, sometimes it's not, it's not even a joke. Sometimes they're like men stink when they exercise. So don't do it in here. Like, I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what we're doing, but yeah. honestly, the whole reason this is even here is to thread this non plot where they're like, Oh, you need to do this medical. So Nathan's like, I'm suspicious of Hanny Mead, Hanny Mead, the medical space company. Why don't you go down to Tokyo Divas to do your fit to get this physical done at the Hanny Mead headquarters? I guess that's what they do. And while you're there, why don't you quote, tap their computers to look for info on jansen's research since she quote drained her computer before she died yeah but what i like though is it seems like even in this world this is a half-baked plan and it couldn't go worse like he gets down there and he's like he like comes i think he he gets in and goes immediately to like let's say the ceo or the president's office he goes to the president you know he goes to the president's locked office and then like stands in front of like a, a face recognition screen and says hi i'm the president and they're like, and it's like a warning. And they come in, and they're like, "What are you doing in here?" And he's like, "Uh, I I shouldn't be here." And immediately they're like, "Get out!" And they call, and they're like, "We demand an apology. You broke into our place. Like it was the worst plan ever." Yeah, they. I believe they put him under corporate arrest or something. Like he goes to some sort of corporate jail. Yeah, it's the future. It's it's super weird. Like because like they all this work to see this idea that he needs to work out for medical so they can send him to Hanami to do this medical to like attempt to, I like that hacking is tapping in this world, uh, mm-hmm. to tap their computers. But that doesn't work. Like he just immediately is caught and taken off the show. And what actually happens is like Nathan's already sort of figured out that something's going on with, you know, Hanamid and the pills they have. And like he, he goes and runs tests on mice. some of mice because he's got the same pills Janison's working with. And like she give he she feeds him some mice, turns the temperature up to forty one, and they also their blood clots. And she's like, and he's like, you know, as we the audience have figured out about twenty five minutes ago, they're testing illegal drugs in secret on their own people, and this is what's happening. Yeah. And Doctor Shun back on Earth, she's the one who ends up breaking into the president's office just on her own accord, and calls Nathan. She's like, I looked into it. Via this cool hologram bulb that is this like head in a bulb that talks to her. I, I did like that. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's sort of like an egg, but then it also has like a smooth sort of stand. And and when someone talks on it, they sort of fill in the whole globe globe ball of it. It looks pretty funny. Yeah, the old person's face appears like I'm a robot. What can I do for you? But didn't you think it was interesting though, Luke? That I'm saying this this is Shun is going to become a major character in this show. It it's funny that all of the characters one are introduced throughout the show like they don't start you in episode one with all the people you need to know you're going to get that over the course of the series but more so they all have to have like this sort of trial by fire to make 
it into the show. It's like Colin had to show he wasn't such a bad cop with the murder. Then he gets on. Uh, Kenzie had to prove she, uh, even though her past, she was a good cop. Um, Thoreau had to prove he wasn't uh, like on the take. They all have like their weird little thing. And I actually feel like they're doing the beat maybe too much. And that's what happens with her here. She sort of turns on the company and looks into it and she calls Thoreau and basically tells him, hey, I looked into it. And yes, uh, it looks like we were testing illegal drugs on Pluto 5 without telling them. The president catches her, of course, and like sort of like threatens her career and like advises her to uh, commit suicide, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> as well, it's, it's because they're Japanese and it's I a, know. it's a it's honor, Luke. It's very stupid. Um, but a- anyway, and he's like, and then he admits, he's like, yeah, I, I do this all the time. I just illegally test on people all the time. What's the big deal? Yeah. Um, Nathan's got all the information now. So he heads down to Earth to confront this Hanimede president. Goes right to the top. Goes right to the president. Into the and sauna. And meets him in, in the company steam room. Yeah, yeah. And this is all because, like, it's just so weird. They're all in towels and robes for the rest of the show. But he goes in the steam room. He's like, hi, have this glass of water I brought you. The president drinks and he's just like, now let me turn up the heat to 41 degrees. And the president's like, wait, are you a policeman? I'm leaving. And Nathan proceeds to slap him around and, like, physically physically abuse this person. Yeah. Yes, he's the bad guy, but you're also a police officer. He's he's a bad man. Also, does his authority in space... Uh, does Extend it work? to Tokyo? Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> well, he's a star cop. He's not a universe cop. Well, and that's just it. So he, like, he bullies and beats this president a bit, turns the heat up to 41 degrees, basically threatening him. He's like, oh, you're going to die of blood clots unless you admit that you test on people. And, you know, the president comes clean. He's like, I admit everything. I, I test on people. Don't let me die of blood clotting at 41 degrees. And Nathan's like, aha, I've got the evidence I need. Case closed. And I'm just like, no, this is never going to hold up in court. You showed up and threatened a man with physical violence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is an ineligible, ineligible confession, I'm sure. But, you know, whatever. Case closed. Nathan has bullied his way to solving it. Um... And the episode ends with Divas getting released from corporate jail, I guess. And he returns to space being like, I passed my medical. And they're like, well, we have a surprise for you. Remember Dr. Shun? She's joining the regular cast now as a star cop, I guess. And I'm just like, do we not have enough characters we don't know what to do with? Well, there's a couple uh, interesting things about it. The first being, I looked into this and the creator of the show did not want her as a character. This was a studio we need to have another person like a doctor on the show so that was added he really didn't want the character i don't think it's there's a problem in terms of like diversity it's it's a great for that in the show but what it'll be interesting to see further on you know if they can use all these characters that they have um but the other thing i want to say is <laughs> mentioning the diversity and 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 trying to have a you know uh multi-ethnic show is crippled by the fact that the very last scene is Colin doing like this, like stereotypical Japanese accent bowing sort of thing of the last scene. You're like, oh, okay, that's bad. It is the problem. It's just like, in some ways, the cast of the show, which I really like, is the thing I like, is like, you don't see this much diversity normally in a mm-hmm. cast. Like the creator's really trying to show an international cast, trying to do his best to do it. But that's what I think it is. There's all these like unconscious biases or things they think is like, are okay to do yeah. that like really undercut everything they're doing. Yeah. It's like, hey, look, we have all these people, but we're going to have uh, thinly veiled uh, racist comments about all the time. But we're OK with that, right? That's fine, right? That's still fun. Yeah. It's still fun for everyone, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, they, it's a new character to the show. I don't hate the idea of adding new characters as you go, but I'm also, this show, as it's going, 
I, like I, I don't like they don't know what to do with Divas. Like he's well, barely gets anything to do. And even less like Kravenko. What is he there for? They sort of said about this is going to be this like nefarious kind of character, but he's not. He's just sitting at a desk. Well, you just said they brought them on because they thought they needed a doctor. He is literally a doctor. Yeah, that's true. So it is odd. It is an odd choice to make. Um, yeah, it, I don't know. It's weird. It, the show got real weird these last two episodes. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, I mean, we're getting into ratings now. Uh, my feeling was I was pretty jazzed after episode was five or something like that. The Yeah, the one before these two, basically. Yeah, and I feel like there was a lot of potential that this show is never going to meet. It feels like it's just plateaued. It's not that it's gotten worse, but it's just plateaued and i think it's just going to go that direction basically these are about six six and a half episodes and i don't think the show's ever going to get better than that i don't think it's going to get worse it's just mad like you have people talk about it like this great cult classic that could have been but after sort of watching this many episodes i'd be very surprised if it really earns that praise i just think it's meh i mean here's what i would say is like i think those first few episodes they were shaking weak and they finally got good and one of the things they were kind of doing well was like a slow build to like some of the mythology and like there was some like serialization. These two episodes throw the idea of serialization out the window. They're just like, how much can we jam pack into a single episode and then mm. forget about the next episode? In, in some ways, they sort of are becoming more. These two felt more like what I would expect to see of just like a standalone general episode. It's like we don't have like we don't want to spend time building the idea that there's like a space mafia. Let's just do an entire Space Mafia episode. We've got lots of ideas for it, though. So it's just going to be the most complicated, yeah. messy episode we could throw together. And then they do this, sort of do the same thing in the next episode. They're like, let's... I, part of it, too, is just like in these two episodes, they decided just like, what if we just really focused in on a culture for us to criticize? Yeah. And and another weird thing that I've noticed in this show, and I, I you could correct me, Luke, but I think in every single episode, they've had to go back to Earth for some reason. It's like you guys have said it in space. Why not stay in space? Like I'm sure, I'm sure there's a budgetary thing about, uh, you know, having to keep showing complicated futuristic space stations or something. But it was like you guys just keep going back to Earth. Like that doesn't bother me quite as much. I I felt like that is part of the world of the show. Is that like it's it's an easy trip back and forth. So people like there's a, there's it's a close connection. But I mean, I think your results may vary as to how much you enjoy that. Or not. Yeah, maybe. All right, Jordan, what do you want to give the episode, uh, this case to be opened in a million years? Sort of what I said before, I'd give it a six and a half out of 10. I think it's an average episode of the show. It's not bad. It's not great. It's just, it's got the same problems that the show has, and it has some of the perks. I think I like the look of it a lot better, but I didn't really save, I think, the convoluted plot. So mostly it was meh, six and a half. Um, yeah, I mean, these are real drop-offs for me, I feel like. Oh, really? Yeah. I just, you know, uh, convoluted plots has been a problem that we've seen before they have going on for sure. But I would say these two episodes both have the problem of convoluted plots, but also they've kind of like, why have the characters become so unlikable? Why is there so much yelling? Why? Like, it's taken a turn for drama that it just hasn't earned and like doesn't work at all for the show. And then just on top of that, of just like how badly aged its opinions are and a lot of like, Mm. just like. That, you know, it's just hard to watch some of those sequences because it's just like up till now, like, you know, they've been trying to be like, is Russia good or bad? Is America good or bad? There's been an even handedness, at least to some of their stuff. In these two episodes, there's no it's just like they're like, yeah, let's just make some cheap jokes at uh, people who are not us, which yeah. is 
an ugly look in retrospect, but even for this show, I'm like, you can tell they they have some idea that they should be more even-handed, but they seem to like really walk away from that in these two episodes. I don't know. I, I didn't care for it, um, and I thought that just like the characters have gotten uglier. They've gone back to badly plotted episodes. I'm gonna go four. Mm, much lower. And in Warm Blood, are you are you on the same? I uh, I think it was a little bit worse. So I'm gonna give it a six out of ten. Maybe I mean if I was really pushing it, I'd probably even go down to a five because it was offensive. It just is like, again, I'm I, my disappointment is that I think there was more potential than they're showing. All these sort of. Uh, problematic things about race and stuff i'm not trying to like wave over it but i think part some of it is of its time um again not forgiving that but i think the biggest problem is that this show tends to fall into complications that make it kind of boring sometimes you know it's just like i've been just like oh when's the scene gonna end so we can get to going so the last three minutes there can be a badly executed action scene where they explain everything I was more forgiving of the earlier episodes because I, well, I can forgive a badly, like a convolutedly plotted episode if I like the characters and like think it's interesting where it's mm-hmm. going and that kind of stuff. But now it's like really leaning into these action sequences, which it can't do properly. Yeah. And it's, you know, having, there's not fixing its convoluted plot problems. And now the characters are just becoming more shrill. And like, I just don't know what the intent, like, I'm just like, was the plan just to keep making this show get worse? Like you almost <laughs> figured it out. And now you've yeah. doubled down on all these things you're bad at. Yeah. And the action scenes are bad. They really have to stay away from that. It's just not their strength. Yeah, you know? these two episodes were rough were rough hoe for me after I like really enjoyed the first few. So I, this is another four for me. Mm. Well, Jordan, b- bad turn for the Stark. Well, you know, it will, it'll will be interesting to see what the last three episodes are because this was a nine-episode se- nine season. So we have another podcast where we're going to do uh, seven and eight. And then we'll wrap it up with nine. We'll see if it uh, picks up at all, or if this was something where you know was rightfully canceled. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll figure we'll figure that out as we go, I suppose. <laughs> but, what 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 um uh what culture do you think they'll they'll make fun of next? <laughs> it's a good question. It's a good question. Who's going to be the next one that you're like? Well, let's point out some foibles yeah. that are very hilarious to us. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Here's hoping. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> anyway thank you for joining us listener if you want to email us about star cops you can get us at continuedrag at gmail.com and of course on instagram and twitter we'll have some corpses just floating <laughs> around space yeah yeah and and you'll want to scream louder than you've ever screamed ever seeing how horrifying they are they're so terrifying yeah. <laughs> but that about wraps it up so thank you for joining us and jordan i will see you next week see you then Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler, produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.